This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Welcome to Serial Killing's October Extravaganza, where for the entire month of October, we've had extra podcasts slash videos of varied horror-themed topics. So I want to give a quick shout out to some of my patrons, Cassandra, my girl Judy, John T, and Emma. Thank you so, so much. Today's podcast is going to be about another killer mom, Darlie Rotier. So Darlie Lynn Peck was born on January 4th, 1970 in Altoona, Pennsylvania. So let's get into some history for that time. The cost of an average new house was roughly $23,500, or rent would have been about $150 a month. The average yearly salary was about $9,500 a month. A gallon of fuel was just $0.36 a gallon. And sadly, this would be the year that the infamous band The Beatles broke up. Now, it was Paul McCartney, one of the vocalists and the bass player, that would ultimately say he left the band, but word around the campfire is it was due to John Lennon's girlfriend, Yoko Ono. The Apollo 13 mission, lauded as the third mission to the moon, launched at 2.13 p.m. in April of 1970. About three hours after the launch, the mission was set on its trajectory to the moon. Two days later, at about 10.07 p.m., the second oxygen tank exploded. This, of course, caused issues with the other oxygen tanks, and the crew contacted Capcom shortly after the incident with the famous line, Houston, we have a problem. After about three hours, all of the oxygen stores were gone, and there was also a loss of water, electricity, and the propulsion system. The crew rations, supplies, and power in order to safely return to Earth. With very careful calculations, they were about to change the course of their trajectory and reposition the spacecraft towards our planet. After launching, only six days later, the crew successfully landed in the Pacific Ocean and everyone survived. Also in April of 1970, the then U.S. President Richard Nixon launched a secretive campaign called, quote, Operation Menu, 
in which American B-52 aircraft bombed the eastern side of Cambodia. This campaign lasted for over a year and took a great toll on the country as many civilian lives were lost. Nixon ordered a secret invasion of Cambodia by the U.S. and South Vietnamese troops. News of this invasion reached the U.S. and furthered the anti-war sentiments. There were massive, massive protests against this. Several students were shot and killed by the National Guard at protests being held at Kent State University and Jackson State University. Soon after, Nixon did withdraw military presence from Cambodia. Also in 1970, Japan became the world's fourth space power. This was after the Soviet Union in 57, the United States in 58, and France in 65. Also, the very first Earth Day was celebrated as the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, began operations. And then for my Australians, Australia suffered one of the worst numbers of fires, killing at least 75 people and had injured another 800. Other notable people born in 1970 are Naomi Campbell, Kelly Ripa, and Tina Fey. So this was the atmosphere that she was born into. Her parents were Larry Peck and Darley Key. They married, and as Larry went off to fight in Vietnam, his 18-year-old wife was pregnant and scared to give birth. But Darley was born, sharing her mother's name, and was described as a very happy and healthy baby. But the happy marriage was, of course, not to last. When she was just seven years old, her parents divorced. One year later, her mother married a man named Dennis Stahl, and they moved from Pennsylvania down to Lubbock, Texas. According to her later court testimony, she states that after she, her siblings, and her stepfather had lived in Lubbock for a time, they moved back to Pennsylvania when she was around 11 years old, and then moved back to Lubbock when she was around 13 years old. It was during this sort of back and forth when her mother and her stepfather had her two younger sisters. One was 10 years younger than Darley, and the other was 12 years younger than Darley. So once they got settled in Lubbock after the last move, Darley was beginning high school. At some point while her mother was married to Dennis, he molested her daughter. She did tell her mother, and we have to assume that the mother then divorced Dennis because she went on to marry another man named Bob Key. Now, during this time, her mother was working at a Western Sizzlin restaurant, which is kind of a buffet but also offers steaks. In 1985, a 17-year-old young man by the name of Darren Rotier was also working at the restaurant with her mother. He was actually the assistant manager at this point. Naturally, Darren and Darley's mother would chat off and on during their shifts. According to her mother, she really liked Darren. And then Darren approached her one day and said, quote, Hey, I hear you have a beautiful daughter, unquote. On Mother's Day that year, 15-year-old Darley went up to the restaurant with her mother and she introduced the two. Darley's court testimony stated that she said, quote, Darren and I hit it off just right away. 
It was automatic, unquote. Darren said, quote, she was different than anybody I had ever met, a trendsetter on her own path, unquote. And of course, they immediately began dating. Now, Darren himself was graduated from high school and was going on to college, and Darley promised that she would wait for him and finish high school. And that's literally all I could find about her childhood, which isn't a whole lot, but it just... It just seems as though outside of the molestation, which is completely unacceptable, and a couple of times where she had to be uprooted and move, she wasn't neglected, starved, beaten, abused, you know, emotionally. I don't really see anything in her past, no. But I just want to say that molestation can and often does leave a permanent scar. But I think that she had a fairly normal and good childhood outside of that. So later, Darley and Darren took a vacation to Purgatory, Colorado on a ski trip, and that's when Darren asked Darley to marry him. She, of course, said yes. They were married in August of 1988. They began their married life in an apartment and both worked at a company called Couplex, which was a circuit board manufacturer. The couple made pretty good money, and after eight months of working, Darley, who was very far along in her first pregnancy, was able to stop working. And then their first son, Devin Rush Routier, was born on June 14, 1989. Their next son, Damon Christian Routier, was born on February 19, 1991. After that, she and Darren started their own business out of their apartment, and they called it Test Neck Electronics in the early 1990s. Needless to say, it became successful rather quickly, and they were able to move the business out of their apartment and into an actual building. And then the wealth came really fast. The business was becoming hugely successful. They bought a large three-story house in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Darren eventually bought himself a fancy 1982 Jaguar car to drive back and forth to work. They bought a very expensive fountain for their front yard and a $9,000 redwood spa for the backyard. The house itself was nestled in a very upscale, very private, pretty exclusive, quiet neighborhood. It wasn't long before Darren bought a 30-foot cabin cruiser boat that they put on a nearby lake. Darley even spent $800 on a tombstone for a beloved cat that had recently died. By 1995, their company was bringing in about half a million dollars a year gross revenue, and Darren paid himself a salary of $125,000, which in today's money is about $215,000 a year, so not bad at all. Darren bought a diamond watch and gold nugget diamond rings for every finger. Darley went and got breast augmentation to get herself up to a 36 triple D and then wore very tight fitting shirts to show off how proud she was of her new body and I'm not shaming her for that. And she too wore very expensive rings on every finger. She very often went to the tanning salons and then also had her hair bleached, her platinum blonde. It is said that their neighbors, being more 
kind of quote old money, thought that the couple were very nice, but they also chuckled at their spending habits. However, one thing that was made very clear by every source I read, Darley and Darren seemed to be a good match, that she absolutely doted on her children. She was always happy to let the neighborhood kids play in her house, and however many wanted to come over was perfectly fine. She made the children snacks, and she was just kind of that neighborhood mom. Now, these kids said that they absolutely loved going to Darley's house because they had this fancy gaming room where they could play Nintendo, which was the console of the time. On October 18, 1995, Darley gave birth to their third son that they named Drake. Devin was six years old on that day, and Damon was four. According to Darley's court testimony, the two older boys were quite proud of their baby brother, posing for pictures, holding him, and taking turns playing with him. It would appear that this happy family had just grown by one. Darley was baking for the neighborhood kids. She also cooked for neighbors who might be having a hard time, be it a death in the family or what have you. I even found through several sources that she had made a mortgage payment for one of her neighbors who had been fighting cancer. I mean, how often do you hear about that level of kindness? Though they went wild spending every extra dime they made, not one person mentioned that either one of them had a mean side or were negative in any way. So in 1996, unfortunately Darren's business began to decline. One of his ex-employees stated that Darren was becoming, quote, increasingly nervous, depressed, and angry, unquote. He was usually at least a month behind on their mortgage, and he was accumulating credit card debt at an alarming rate and owed the IRS around $10,000 in back taxes. So then it was said that Darren decided to start another side business that he called, quote, Champagne Wishes where he would take tourists or locals out on his boat at sunset. The guests would drink champagne and enjoy the scenery and were free to use the bedroom downstairs. Now, I didn't find anywhere where this business had had really any, if much, success. And really, Darley's spending never slowed down either. Financial records would show that during one month in particular, they had a whole $68 in their bank account. So the next spring, Darley was upset at the fact that she couldn't seem to lose the extra little bit of weight she had gained from having baby Drake, who was at this point old enough to sit up by himself, and he was crawling. Now, to paint a picture, guys, she was 26 years old, five foot four and only weighed 133 pounds so there's that she had officially stopped breastfeeding the baby and had begun some prescription diet pills during april and may darley testified that she began receiving random phone calls where she would answer the phone and the person would just hang up or they would just stay on the line and she would keep saying hello who is this and there would be nothing But she thought it was kids prank calling her and really didn't think much of it. But my research also found that it was pretty apparent that Darley was suffering from a bit of postpartum depression as well. She described herself as being a bit moody all the time. 
In early May, she had had some days that were particularly rough, and she stated that she had been crying a lot off and on. She called Darren at work and asked him to come home, to which he did. He found her upstairs, lying on the bed, crying. Baby Drake was having a nap in his crib, and Damon, who hadn't quite started kindergarten, was watching television. Darley told her husband that she didn't really like feeling the way that she had been feeling for the past couple days, and she didn't understand why she was feeling that way. Again, most likely, she was suffering from some postpartum depression. She admitted to Darren that, if even for a brief moment, she had contemplated suicide. And this made Darren break down as well. She later testified that after she had confessed this to Darren about, you know, how she'd been feeling, she actually felt quite a bit better. And, and he instructed her to call him at work if she needed him again. So if we take a look at this, I think there's some things going on other than just postpartum depression. See, she had just quit breastfeeding as well. And anyone who's not familiar with all of that business, a woman's cycle most often does not resume until she gets done breastfeeding a baby. It's nature's way of kind of ensuring that another baby doesn't come along while she's trying to breastfeed the first. Now, this is by no means a foolproof form of birth control, okay? So don't, I'm not saying that. But it is kind of a general rule. So we are looking at a woman with some pretty fluctuating hormones who is having some postpartum depression and was getting ready to resume her cycle. So on June 5th, Darley had had a woman at her house, and I'm making an assumption it was the housekeeper, but don't hold me to that. At 6 p.m., the woman's daughter came to pick her up, and all three women witnessed a black car driving down the back alley that runs in between the houses that face away from each other. Now, Darley claimed the person driving the black car had slowed down, looked into her garage, which the door was up and open, and then drove off. The mother and daughter also saw the black car, and the mother asked why, and excuse me, her words not mine, why there was a black man driving through the alley of that neighborhood, to which her daughter said that there were many black families living in that neighborhood, and to quote, quit freaking out, unquote. Consequently, though, another neighbor later testified to seeing a black car that matched that description drive past the Routier's house a few times about a month before this day. The neighbor stated, quote, he would slow down. It wasn't uncommon for people as they went around the corner to slow down and look at the Routier's fountain. So I saw him doing that, unquote. This neighbor also claimed that she talked to Darren about it and that he did seem concerned. But what bothers me is that apparently he wasn't concerned enough to call in for a police report or, I don't know, turn on the home safety alarm. So that night, Darren got home from work and he had brought with him Darley's sister, Dana, who also worked at their business. The family all sat together and had dinner. Afterwards, the boys went back outside to play with their friends as the grown-ups discussed their day. Quite normal. 
Darren went to the backyard to fix a gate on the fence that they had, and then he went into the garage to sort through some garage sale stuff because they had planned on having one. Around 8.30 that night, Darley told the neighborhood kids that it was time for them to go home, and she brought her two boys inside. Darren left to take Dana home, and he returned home about a half hour later. So the boys put their pajamas on, grabbed pillows and blankets, and asked if they could go downstairs and watch TV and fall asleep down there. Around 10 p.m., the house was quiet. Devin had fallen asleep in front of the TV, and Damon was still awake and watching. Darley was laying on the couch with Drake on her as the boys were watching TV, and Drake became fussy. So Darley got up, and she made him a bottle, and then Darren said that he would take the baby upstairs and rock him and put him to bed. He had wanted to watch the news, and Darley didn't really want to, and side note, who freaking does anymore? Eventually, Darren fell asleep upstairs with baby Drake, while Darley fell asleep downstairs with Devin and Damon. Now, now what happened later, only Darley knows the complete truth of that. At 2.31 a.m., Darley called 911, completely hysterical. I would add that 911 call here, but I'm hearing that YouTube's taking those out of my videos. But needless to say, she was screaming and crying into the phone, telling them that someone had broken into their home and had just stabbed her and her children. She was desperate for the police and an ambulance to get to her house immediately because her boys were dying. She stated that she had touched the knife that she believed to be the murder weapon and expressed concerns that she might have ruined it to, you know, pick up fingerprints. Now, folks, I have listened to this 911 call several times now. I obviously do not have the experience that seasoned detectives and cops and the professionals have, but she sounds genuinely really upset to me. Her terror is palpable, completely believable. Darren stated that he came running downstairs when he was awakened by his wife's blood-curdling screams. He found one of his sons lying on the floor and proceeded to try to give him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, only every time he blew into his little boy's mouth, air would escape from holes in the little boy's chest. Now, Darley herself had a horrible stab wound to her right forearm, and her throat had been slit, missing her carotid artery by like a couple of millimeters. And these were not superficial guys. They were deep and dangerous. The police arrived and they found Darley with a towel on her neck. They noted that though they expected her to be tending her children, she was not. Now as paramedics tried desperately to save her children and Darley was put on a stretcher, Darren later said that Darley told him to find out who did this and to quote, make it right. Unquote. Unfortunately, both boys succumbed to their injuries. Now, I have those autopsy reports. I will take excerpts from them, so disclaimer, disclaimer. 
we will start with Damon. Photographs, footprints, and an x-ray are taken. The hands are received, bagged. Accompanying the body, there is a cutaway, blood-stained, black-printed t-shirt with defect. There is reduced blanching, posterior lividity, and almost full rigidity. The body is at approximately room temperature. The eyes are open and have clear corneas. There are multiple up to one and a half inch scars over the knees. There is a transparent bandage over two puncture marks in the left side of the neck. There are puncture marks circled in red in each side of the upper chest. There are two incised wounds and four stab wounds to the back. There is a stab wound of entrance in the left mid back. Another stab wound perforates musculature of the left seventh intercostal space and the left eighth rib and penetrates the lower lobe of the left lung. A third stab wound perforated more ribs, the right lung as well as the left and penetrated the muscles of the right upper chest. The fourth stab wound penetrated three inches. Six-year-old Devon's autopsy, in summation, stated he too was stabbed four times, once in the upper left chest, penetrating his ribs and lung, and was five inches deep. The second one was in the left midsection and penetrated the liver. The third was into only the soft tissue of his left arm. The fourth stab wound was in the left thigh and was only through soft tissue. So Damon was stabbed while he was sleeping face down. Devon while he was face up. One of Devon's was so deep that it nearly completely went through his body. The police found a window screen that had been cut open, but they did not find the intruder. Now, Darley's story about what happened has changed somewhat each time she was questioned. She said she awoke to find a strange man in her house and that as she tried to approach him, he dropped the knife and fled the house through the garage. She then picked up the knife and realized she and her sons were injured and immediately called 911. Of course, this is suspicious since she is indicating that she didn't wake up during the attacks of her sons or herself. The police stated that they found no evidence of blood or anything in the garage and the windowsills in the garage still had undisturbed dust on them. The outside of the windows had landscaping and the mulch beneath them was also undisturbed. Out of all of the evidence, a lot to list. There was one bloody fingerprint that had unidentified male DNA. So there's that. And then also, oddly, they found one of Darren's socks a few houses away in the alley that had only the children's blood on it. Once Darley was released from the hospital and eight days after the murders, the family decided to hold Devin's birthday party at the boys' gravesite. They did hold a prayer service first, and then once the solemn and sad moment had passed, the family smiled and sprayed silly string at the grave, singing happy birthday. 
Now, the local news stations filmed this, and they left the prior prayer service out, of course, leaving only the part where the family was smiling, silly string, and singing. This was immediately used as evidence of Darley's guilt. She did later say, quote, He wanted to be seven. I did the only thing I knew to do to honor him and give him all his wishes because he was not here anymore. But how do you know what you're going to do when you lose two children? How do you know how you're going to act? Unquote. I mean, yeah. And though the police wanted the doctors to tell them that Darley's wounds were self-inflicted, the doctors told them that not likely, but it wasn't necessarily out of the realm of possibilities. Also, after she was discharged, though, she did show police some rather heavy bruising on the underneath of both of her forearms, wrist to elbow. They were told the bruising was too fresh to be from the night of the crime. Detectives questioned why her sons were stabbed so viciously, but she only had one stab wound in her arm and then the cut on her throat. So they tried to replicate the crime to Darley's statement, and of course things didn't add up. There still should have been blood from the boys that splattered a bit when the intruder dropped the knife. After using our beloved luminol, they did find blood around the kitchen and in the sink, which would have been consistent with someone washing blood off of his or her hands. There were signs that Darley's blood had also been wiped around with a towel. This led them to think that she had cut her own throat over the sink. There was also the question of a bread knife in the kitchen that they said had fibers on it consistent with the window screen. There are professionals that say that that's not what that was. So really the most odd thing was Darren's sock found in the back alley. It had none of Darley's blood on it, and they wondered how it even got there. They suspected Darley had carried it there, but she would have left a trail of her own blood there and back. No blood was on the back patio or the back fence, and she did lose a significant amount of her own blood from her neck injury alone. So they then said she stabbed her boys, she ran the sock outside and down the alley, by the way, in a t-shirt and underwear, and then ran back and slit her own throat along with stabbing herself with her non-dominant hand into her right forearm. There's a whole big long timeline that the police have put together, and if you're interested in the case, definitely look it up. It kind of involves the time of when she called 911 and when the police arrived and how Damon was technically still ar- and how Damon was technically still alive when they arrived but he died very shortly after. You see Darley just wasn't a shoe-in as they say as being guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and that's what we're going with here is beyond a reasonable doubt. Another problem is that if her motive was her and Darren's financial troubles, why not go upstairs and murder her husband instead, who was worth nearly a million dollars in life insurance money? I mean, the boys had life insurance policies, but it wasn't even enough to cover their funeral costs. A chief medical examiner also stated the cut to her throat was, again, 
hardly superficial, as the later prosecution would try to say. In fact, he said that her wounds were not consistent with being self-inflicted. So as the inevitable trial went underway, Darley explained that she had been over the sink, wetting towels to put over her boys' wounds. My guess is that perhaps she thought that that would keep the air from escaping the puncture wounds while her husband was trying to help them, but that's just my speculation. Nurses at the hospital noted that she was appropriately, yet very emotional, visibly upset, crying, frightened, and tearful when they tended her. But none of that mattered. She was ultimately found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection. But it doesn't end there. Later, it came to light that there was a rumor that surfaced stating Darren attempted to hire someone to steal his Jaguar and take it to a chop shop to commit insurance fraud prior to these murders. Darley's second stepfather, Bob Key, told a man named Stephen Cooper, who was a defense attorney handling Darley's appeals. And Bob said that Darren had come to him a few weeks before the murders and said that he was broke and that he wanted to find someone who would break into his house and steal all of his valuables, hide them in a parked U-Haul just down the way and out of sight so that Darren could collect the insurance money get his valuables back, and then he would be back on track financially. Apparently, according to this defense attorney, Darren later admitted to, quote, shopping around, unquote, for someone to do this, but never actually hired anyone. That's what Darren said. And there are plenty of other theories about Darren as well, but it should be noted that he also completely failed his polygraph test. Now, I can't say that Darley is completely guilty or completely innocent. The evidence looks pretty bad or good either way, really. I mean, it does kind of sound like Darren's not completely innocent, but murdering his children, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I really want to know what you think. Leave a comment on the YouTube video or DM me on Instagram. You can always email me at SerialKillingInstagram at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. I hope you guys are enjoying the October extravaganza. I'm, I've gotten so much amazing feedback that I'm already planning next year that I can do even more during the month. Have a great day, guys.